Welcome to the first episode of Vista Mall 2017 Recaps from Reality TV Warriors. My name is Michael Harmstone, and joining me as always is a Canadian who, thanks to his OnlyFans, has also earned €2,500 by selling his buddy, Logan Saunders. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. It's uncharted territory, I think, for the uh, for the podcast, because we are trying something brand new with this season. As we mentioned at the end of Georgia, I have seen this season. Logan has not seen this season. As far as I'm aware, Logan doesn't know that much about this season, other than the little bits that I've told him, like the fact that the laser game next week is amazing, and obviously the fact that we know who one person who isn't the mole is, thanks to another season. But I don't think you know who the mole is. I don't think you know who the final three are. Nope. Nope. Everything else is kind of uncharted territory, which I like. What did you think of the uh, the first one straight off the bat? Of the first episode? Well, I guess we'll get to this topic uh, into some more detail. But just the fact that the first episode and there's really not much for people to go on going into the first quiz because we have a 100% success rate for the episode. Like, how do you pick who the mole is when you earn every single euro that you can? Oh, I know it's a complete and utter crapshoot. And I said this to you on uh, on chat when you sent me your first set of suspicions that I'd forgotten how good this premiere is, but it's a very atypical premiere because, yeah, they earn all of the money. The mole literally didn't stop them losing a centime here, somehow. And I, I know we've discussed this. I'm going to have to be super careful during this season not to actually let anything uh, anything slip about who the mole is. Yeah, I feel like I, like each time we do a podcast, I should probably be at least a couple episodes ahead just to help, help you somehow, yeah, because I'm afraid you're going to say something inadvertently. I think I will be alright, because this is a very fun season to try and guess who the mole is. There's a very good reason I picked this one as the first one that we're going to do where you've never seen it before, and that is because this is, I think probably hands down in the fan community, the hardest one that anyone has ever had to try and work out who the mole is. So many people were wrong this season. And I think the top score on the Bothers Bar suspect list was only about 40 in this year. Because I was about third, I think, at the end of the season. With an impressively low score, actually. But I think the top score was only about 40. So this is a real challenge for you, deliberately, to try and work out who it is. And it's also, as I know you mentioned on the, the Georgia finale... It's the closest one geographically to your own place of residence, at least uh, recently. And it's a an interestingly themed season, especially when you get to about halfway through. Because, unsurprisingly, they do a Belgian, they basically just go full Oregon Trail themed. About episode four, episode five. Spoiler! <laughs> that isn't a spoiler, this is literally all the stuff that they, they confirmed pre-season. I've actually got specifically worded notes to make sure I don't slip off on any of this. <laughs> but yeah, it's just funny at the beginning when they show them just running through the forest there looking for the four tickets to get into the helicopter. And I'm thinking, that forest looks like almost any forest you would find in BC. And the scenery too, when they show them in the helicopter and when they show them interaction with locals in Portland, I'm thinking, yeah, this is, this is a lot of overlap with BC culture. Well, ironically, it's actually not that far from Vancouver, albeit Vancouver, Washington. Yeah, Vancouver, Washington would be very close since Vancouver, Washington's at the southern tip of the state. Have I ever told you about my Vancouver, Washington story? I can't remember whether I told you this. Maybe it could have been a long time ago. 
So in 2017, I did a trip to this area of the world, started in LA, then went to Seattle, then went to uh, to Vancouver, BC. And we flew between between LA and Seattle and then booked a train ride from, from Seattle to Vancouver and realized the night before when we were in Seattle that I had booked the train in the wrong direction and I had booked it to Vancouver, Washington. <laughs> because the Amtrak website is very silly and has it listed as Vancouver rather than, you know, the actual populated Vancouver, Vancouver, BC. Luckily, I realized this in time, so I just booked a new set of tickets and it only cost me about £10 in total, I think. But I was mortified. So you didn't know that there was a Vancouver, Washington? Oh, no, I knew there was a Vancouver, Washington. I just didn't realize that the Amtrak website would be stupid enough to not list the real Vancouver as actual Vancouver. They really should have listed it as Vancouver WA and Vancouver BC to make it easy for idiots like me. Yeah, because even Vancouver, Washington, that is not a popular place for people to visit. That's mainly just on the people who work as uh, truck drivers are the only ones who pass through Vancouver, Washington. It's not like, oh... We're going to go to Vancouver, Washington today to hang out for the day. It's just, uh, I've only heard it referenced uh, from people who work as truckers. Yeah, absolutely nobody. And I'm putting this on the record now. If you looked at the Amtrak stats, I would put money on the fact that more people go from Seattle to Vancouver, British Columbia than Seattle to Vancouver, Washington. You don't even need to look at the stats for that. I'm pretty confident that I'm right that more people will go from Seattle to Vancouver, BC than Seattle to Vancouver, WA, even though they're the same state. So yeah, that was a very interesting uh, time when I was sat in a a hotel in Seattle, shit scared basically that I'd done more fuck-ups. I'm curious what Vancouver, Washington's population is. Oh, it's uh, okay. Fair amount of people live there, 161,000. But yeah, it's not like on the coast or anything. <laughs> so a bit more kind of parish notices about this season as I did mention at the end of Georgia 2016's mole was spotted very early in episode 2 this season they did try and make it at least a little bit tougher which as I said did work for a lot of the fan community and this is also the first season in mole history worldwide to actually be filmed entirely within the US there is only I think one country in the top 5 area wise that has not even been visited on mole season which is Brazil and I want to see whether you can guess this. How do you think the candidate reveals were done? Because they did it in a particularly 2017 style, and they have never done it in this way since. 2017 style? Yeah. Oh, man, I don't know. They announced them on the Vistamol Instagram by medium of boomerangs. Wow. What's funny is I have it in my notes where... I wrote uh, after at the beginning of the first two episodes when they keep flashing the Twitter hashtag and they flash the Twitter symbol. What was it Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, and Facebook? Yeah, they showed the four platforms. So I'm thinking, wow, they were really pushing for social media usage this season. And because I cause it didn't ha- it doesn't happen after Oregon, so I'm gonna guess Oregon was the only season where they really made the big push for it. Yeah, those things still exist. I'm not sure about Snapchat, because I obviously don't use Snapchat, but the other three definitely still exist. But I actually rediscovered this as I was looking for the um, for the cast photos to do the, the suspicions pictures. And it is incredibly difficult to find the actual individual cast photos this season, because it is the only one where they announced it via people jumping up from the bottom of the screen and doing a two-second dance and then it boomeranging back. And it is still up there, 
and it is still just as awkward as you would expect. Yeah, it's kind of funny when everyone's trying to adapt to figure figure out how to use social media correctly to promote a series. Yeah, and the final, final parish notice on that subject about using social media correctly is the fact that Ivana is the first ever YouTuber in Vistamol history. She is basically the proto-Nikki. She was the first person ever listed as a vlogger in Vistamol bios. Hmm. And they did make quite a big thing of it at the time. Which is kind of funny because I think the Mason Race had their first... Actually, Mason Race in season 17 had their first vlogger too. Granted, that would have been in 2010... Yeah, twenty yeah, spring of twenty ten. Or uh, I mean fall of twenty ten they would have they would have had uh Kevin Jumba. Kev Jumba. Who is not fond of social media anymore. No, he's a monk now, isn't he? Essentially, yeah, like he'll appear I remember he randomly posted on Twitter I wanna say this was already probably like two or three years ago. He's like, Hey, what's up everybody? And everyone everyone just freaked out. They're like, Oh man, you haven't been you haven't appeared on social media in like five or six years. And I think he just, and he's like, should I make videos again or something like that? And he hasn't appeared again since. He just did like this one-off or two posts. And then there's this other article. I can't remember, can't remember which website did it, but they were talking to him and asking him, what the heck happened to you, man? <laughs> and he's like, yeah, social media actually really depressed me trying to chase after all of these views and stuff. It was just all seemed artificial to me. So yeah. Kind of went into essentially be a monk instead, and I'm far, far happier now. It's weird that we had a very similar conversation, not to the extent of me becoming a monk, but I don't have social media on my phone anymore as a result of it just being a constant kind of attention-seeking tool on my phone. So I don't even Mm -hmm. have it on my phone anymore. I think it was last week we started discussing that, wasn't it? Yeah, I think so. How appropriate. In regards to any suspicions that we do this season. Obviously, I do know who the mole is. Logan doesn't. Logan is going to send me his order for who he suspects at the end of watching each episode. That will include the finale. We're still doing finale and reading together, but Logan will be sending his suspicions for the final three after he watches the finale. And if he's a cheating little bastard, I will kill him. (laughs) I don't think there's any more parish notices to do, actually. I think we can now Go straight into the episode, finally. <laughs> it's a bit tougher when I don't know how to summarize the season because I haven't watched it yet, so it's not like the usual, oh, keep an eye on this, keep an eye out for that. I, 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 can't, I can't do any of that. The interesting counterpoint to that will be it's going to be very interesting for me to see what you do pick up on and whether you are led to the mole faster than people were at the time. Because I have no doubt that you are probably going to have scored high enough to beat everyone on the suspect list. Because it's you, and you do seem to have a a very good sense of who the mole is pretty much from day dot, and it's very irritating. But this is going to be a very interesting challenge, I think. Yeah, as long as it doesn't play out like Czechia did. (laughs) So, as you said, there is a whole lot of foggy scenery in the opener. They are running through a forest. We get a flashback to Art's instructions. He says the hunt for the mole is starting right here and right now. In the forest behind him are four helicopter tickets. The four who find them will have a head start on the trip to Portland, where they can find a Vrystelling. Art, however, warns them that haste can trip them up in the end. Vincent is the first person to grab one, quite nonchalantly, really. Euron is left alone, as he should be. Bruce finds the second one, simply by staying in one spot and moving around. Thomas finds the third one on the ground, and then Euron walks past the last one, but then sadly finds it and the other six are left behind. 
I thought like when they were doing the constant flashbacks that we were going to get that they were going to do this as the intro and then we'd see the assignment reintroduce and get a lot more detail on how it plays out but that's not the case it's just oh those four people found the ticket and they're on the helicopter it is super quick and if you think that because we've already done Georgia we can talk freely about Georgia if you think with Georgia that premiere was just one challenge basically and this premiere is kind of, I would say, one and a half challenges. Yeah, well, I mean, two would be two, right? Yeah, because it's, it's kind of one challenge to earn any money, which is starting here and then ending with them all reuniting at the end. And then the second challenge is really not for any money, just to steal someone's fry stelling. Yeah, it's kind of interesting that a lot of these reality shows try to do something very odd for the first episode that's not really fair gaming wise it's just like oh what what messed up start can we have that can make the make social media buzzing and then by once you get into episode two then everything's always back to normal yeah this is the first time really that they tried that because i don't remember the dominican republic premiere being that sri lanka definitely wasn't and then they have the Basically one challenge episode here. Let's call it one and a half, two, really. You have the 100% one challenge episode in Georgia, and then they go back to three challenges after that. Or go back to at least two. Yeah. Because you think if any if any episode deserves to have at least three challenges where you can make money, it should be the first episode because everyone should have at least some information that they can potentially go on. I mean, as fun as it was seeing Ron executed first in Georgia... I mean, it is a bit unfair that he only got to play the game with one person and then be forced to take the quiz and be eliminated. I think also from a fairness point of view, if you're going to eliminate someone at the end of the premiere, you sort of want them to have a full-ish experience. Like Vincent here, spoilers for the end of the episode, Vincent here says, basically, I did have a really fun experience, but he'd only really done one challenge, personally. But at least he got to do way more than Ron ever got to do in Georgia. At least Vincent got to interact with the whole group and did get to play three different games. And then the the quiz itself was also a bit of a game too. So you could argue that Vincent got to play more than almost any first boot has had the chance to do, considering he got to search for the ticket in the forest, then hunting for the the rice challenge in... uh, in the second challenge, and then the conversation with Art and trying to convince everyone else to give up their exemption for the third challenge, and then sitting down for the quiz it- itself and figuring out what he should do. I'm just seeing how um, how Bindles categorized it. Bindles categorized it as three separate challenges, but he does put a note in his challenge guide saying, according to the show itself, this episode features one long challenge instead of three separate ones. While the roles players having one challenge carry over to subsequent challenges, the challenges are completely distinct aside from the opening search helicopter tickets, and I've listed them separately for clarity. Yeah, so, but yeah, it's a bit of an odd one where there's three challenges, but only one of them is for money. Or if you're the group that was in the helicopter, none of the challenges were for money, really, because they didn't earn any money in the process trying to hunt down those exemptions. It was just seek the exemptions... Then you have the conversation in the theater, and then you have the dilemma, and that was it. So really, for those four, there was never a single euro up for grabs to try and earn. No, I think in any other season, you'd probably see the challenges intersect a little bit more, and maybe the people on the ground have the option to 
steal the Vryce Delling or stop them at least. And maybe, on the other hand, you have the people in the guardhouse team who could stop the money going into the pot. They just feel a little disjointed. And I think if they actually had a bit of intersection, maybe we wouldn't have had the discussion about whether they are one challenge, two challenges, or three challenges. Yeah, or, I don't know, some have some sort of dilemma where it's not just keep your exemption or or try and have everyone give up their exemption in case you're the one who gets the exemption stolen away from you. Have some have some sort of money involved in that. Where it's like, if, you, if all four of you give up your exemptions, we're going to add 10,000 euros to the pot. Like, have some sort of big incentive for four people to give up an exemption. Yeah, appropriately for Portland, this episode has kind of been kept a bit weird. Yeah. And also one final parish notice that I forgot about. We do not like Euro, and we will be bitching about Euro a lot during this season to one you now. I don't even know if I'll be complaining about Euro. It's just I think we you said this over and over, Michael. He's just a non-entity, and you were just really confused why he was brought back for Renaissance. So I'm keeping my eye on that. And after this first episode, I'm thinking, man, just if I didn't know anything about Euro and we were doing a regular podcast, I don't think I'd be commenting on him at all. <laughs> at this point in time, Euron is only notable because he was the witness to a murder, basically, when he came out of his radio station. He witnessed somebody being killed? Yeah, he witnessed someone being killed. Not, not like the person wasn't already dead, like he saw it occur. Yeah, he saw it occur. I'm going to get the story up now. On 6th of May 2002, he witnessed the assassination of Pim Fortune in Hilversum, North Holland, which took place in a car park outside the radio studio where he'd just given an interview to Euron and his colleague. What? That's an insane story. So it was like, who was the guy that got murdered? He was a politician, I think. I didn't know they had like political assassinations in Holland. <laughs> Apparently so. Especially in Western Europe, you never hear of that in, in a first world country. Yeah, he um, he was murdered nine days before the general election in 2002. So he's going to be the leader of the country? Uh, no, he was kind of a, a right-wing politician by the look of things. So who killed him? Uh, it was an environmental and animal rights activist who said he murdered him to stop him from exploiting Muslims as scapegoats and targeting the weak members of society and seeking political power. Interesting. But yeah, apparently that's basically the notoriety that Giron had at the time was being on the radio, but also being the witness to a murder. Yeah, I guess to be able to pick out that guy from a lineup. So yeah, cheery notes to begin the podcast on this. And now back to bitching about Euron. Yeah, I said this in our group chat after I watched the premiere again. Euron basically is a non-entity in this episode anyway, and pretty much any episode he's in, in this season. Hence my kind of confusion over him being brought back for Renaissance. But any time he's on the screen here, his default mode seems to just be smug. He seems to just be very smug at every opportunity that we see him in this episode. Whenever there's a quote or he has an observation about something it, it, it does come off a little smug I agree. And I don't know whether it, that is just kind of my personal feelings on Euron being awful in Renaissance, clouding my judgement but he comes across as really smug in this episode and I'm sure this won't be the last time that I say that. Meanwhile there's nine other people who somehow don't get brought back. <laughs> yeah. So Art says we've now seen the nine candidates of Mull in action. They are on their way to Portland, a city as big as Amsterdam, but proud to be different. It is a start of a beautiful adventure through the real America, through snowy mountains, blue lakes, and the Wild West. 
I'm sure many people at first were confused. Out of all 50 states, why Oregon? I don't really associate Oregon with the Wild West as much as I associate like California with the Gold Rush or Texas with cowboys and stuff. You don't really associate it with Oregon, I would say. It's not your first choice. No, especially considering all the states that border it definitely have a lot more of that Wild West climate. I mean, it's a really good choice in the end, because they do make some really fun choices about the locations and stuff, far more than they do in more recent Vidim seasons. But when you first hear that Oregon is going to be visited, you go, really? Oregon? Of all places? Especially when it's sandwiched between Washington State and California. And it's like, oh, they really... They could have picked two much more prominent and diverse states, and they choose the one in the middle between them. Yeah. Like, if I was going to go for a cowboy theme season, I would probably go for Texas straight away, if I was going to America. I'm going to guess that probably, I guess Texas may have prevented some difficulties with filming, potentially, and California would be really, really expensive to film, considering they have a lot of their own taxes and stuff. So I guess that's why California and probably Washington was, were both off the table, probably for similar reasons. And then Oregon isn't as, well, I mean, there you get a couple of the bigger cities, but it's not quite as densely populated, I guess. Oregon is one of the rare seasons in recent Vidim history that I don't actually know if there were any alternate locations for it. Like Sri Lanka quite famously was meant to be Russia until the annexing of Crimea and MH17 being shot down. Georgia, I don't think there were any alternate locations that have been made public, at least. Dominican Republic was definitely a last-minute change. I think Colombia was as well. Czechia, I would be very surprised if Czechia was their first choice. China, I think there may have been some restrictions on that as well. Oregon is one where I don't think I've actually ever heard even an inkling of an alternate location. Yeah, I assume if you're going to go to Oregon, that's not going to be like a last-minute decision. Like, oh, we're going to go to Oregon. No, and the benefit for production is the fact that there is a direct flight from Amsterdam. To Portland? Yeah, because I did look this up. Delta do fly between Amsterdam and Portland, which I was very surprised about. (laughs) Not just that there is a direct flight to Portland, but the fact that it's Delta rather than KLM. Maybe they have a higher Dutch population. Yeah, because there's definitely a direct flight from from Amsterdam to Houston, because I saw it when I was there, because it was getting to the point when because everything was closing down, that I was half thinking of trying to get on that flight instead of the uh, the Singapore Airlines one home. But I was very surprised that there is a direct flight from Amsterdam to Portland. I know Schiphol is a massive airport and stuff, and I shouldn't have been surprised about this, but I was reasonably surprised that Portland, of all places, does have a direct flight with Amsterdam. Hmm. So the episode title is done in no time, and we already have a narrator for the season, which is Diedrich. The six who were left behind are split into two trios to combat the others finding an exemption. They receive an envelope with five locations on it and values of money, adding up to two and a half thousand euros. There is also a question mark on there, and they get mobile phones to communicate with each other. The trios are Sana, Diedrich and Emanuela, and Ivana, Sigrid and Joachim. They have an hour to collect the envelopes when they're dropped off. Four of them have the money, and one has the question mark. The helicopter group get taken on a mountainous flight. Thomas says he wishes that they had that scenery in Holland. The pilot thanks them for flying Mole Airlines and then lands on the top of a building. I noticed that when they introduced Emanuela that she says, I'm going to study who the mole is by body language. And by the end of the episode, I'm thinking, yeah, that would probably actually be a really good strategy for the first episode because it's certainly not going to be by their actions. (laughs) 
considering they earn everything. So yeah, I think you're going to have to go with body language for the first episode. I think of all the contestants on this season, I have probably talked to you most about Emanuela, especially next week. And I don't know how much of the um, uh, the laser game you've seen yet. I haven't seen any of it. Oh, Emanuela has her Olche moment basically in that laser game. She is everything in that laser game to the point where people still quote her confessional from that laser game now. I actually saw it on on someone else from this season's uh, Instagram earlier that there was a picture of them two together and the caption was literally just a quote from her, um, her confessional next week. It's, I would say, one of the most famous confessionals in at least recent Vidim history is uh, Emanuela's one next week. She is brilliant. She has a pretty good freak out here between where they get to that when they are looking for the Thai food cart and they're taken to a Korean one. She's like, this is a Korean food cart. It's not a Thai food cart. Thai and Korean are not the same. It's like, oh, okay. That was a bigger reaction than I was expecting. <laughs> Emanuela is basically the character that they want on every season in terms of being brilliant in confessionals and being a bit larger than life. She has her moments during uh, during the season. But yeah, she does, as as is probably correct for this season, get the first introduction. She is an actress, and as you said, she's going to look at body language, and when people lie, their body language changes, and that's how she'll find them all. And we have an introduction from Ruth where she says she's an atmosphere person or a social person, which is kind of funny because she's going to come up with a tactic that makes the entire group of 10 all hate each other before the end of the episode. I'm like, yeah, that's a real atmosphere person. Create as much distrust and paranoia amongst all 10 players before the first quiz. Awesome. I will say some of my opinions on people did change between watching the premiere originally and this rewatch. I love Emanuela even more than I, I loved her before because I always remembered her as kind of maybe being a bit in the background in the premiere and then really coming into her own next week. I loved Santa more than I did in the premiere when I watched it originally. Roos, I thought, was maybe a bit less likable than I remembered her being. Especially, as you said, when she basically does a tactic that just turns everyone against each other right before the quiz. And then the other three didn't even really want to follow her tactic. Well, actually, yeah, Euroin did. <laughs> but when they, were at the, when they were at the picnic table and they're trying to figure out what to tell the other two groups about their exemption, she's like, let's just lie, 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 and say we found nothing. And the other six people are watching them lying, thinking, we don't buy a single word they are saying. So the helicopter group find an envelope and a pair of binoculars on the rooftop. From the rooftop, they can see a password, and they have to proceed to the location that they find to get access to the Vrystellingen. As Vincent points out, that means that there is more than one Vrystelling available. And Thomas is by far the quietest within this group of four. He really stuck out to me for that reason, where it's like, we're getting... Your own point of view, we're getting Vincent, who is very animated. We get, we're getting a lot of Ruse content, but Thomas is just lurking there, and it makes me very suspicious. I think with Thomas, he's just a bit quieter. We don't really see any confessionals from him in this episode, with the exception of his introduction one, I don't think. I'm just not sure whether he's good with the confessional. Obviously, we're coming off the back of Dune Georgia as our last Vidim season. Pretty much half the cast were larger than life in that season. This is a different sort of cast where you do get the stars, you do get some very loud people, you also get your own, Ugh. but you don't get as many kind of big personalities at the start of the season, I would say. There's a few people in this cast who are less memorable than you would see in Georgia. They don't always get as lucky as they did with uh, 
with Georgia in terms of the boot order. Yeah, they don't get. They're not lucky with having Jean Marc as a big entertainment value. Yeah, exactly. There is no Jean Marc to kind of prop up the rest of the season. So Ruth is second to get an introduction. She's a journalist and writes for theatre and TV as well. She says she gets lost in games, but she hopes she's a social player and can use that to her advantage. Spoilers by the end of this episode, not so much. She says she likes to ask a lot of questions, so she doesn't have to answer any. Vincent suggests that it could be at Union Station, as that will have lockers. He then spots an arrow on the ground, pointing to a building with a mole flag and a banner saying Hawthorne Bridge. Diedrich says it's all well and good everyone saying they'll go for money, but adding a question mark to the challenge, and their loyalties become a bit more murky. What was very interesting with the question mark envelope is how easily the first group of three of Emanuela, Diedrich, and Sana were all willing to just let the other group of three have the question mark envelope, and even Yalcom is like, um, yeah, I wasn't expecting it to be this easy to be assigned the question mark envelope. They're more than happy to let us find it. I think they were always playing as a group. They basically thought that we know there's Vrystellings available for the other four. We just want to stop them at any cost. We don't really care who does it as long as someone does. Yeah, it is It is a bit surprising, though, that there is, other than the chance to steal one of their exemptions, that there really isn't any, as you said, Michael, there isn't any intersection between the people in the van and the helicopter group in this challenge. I think if it was most seasons of Vidim or any most season worldwide, they definitely set up some sort of race where maybe they all have to eventually go for the same location. Yeah, I wonder whether something was taken out at the last second on that, because it doesn't feel like the sort of challenge that they would open with normally. It feels like there was just something missing there. So the only real thing to really keep out for in terms of who was keeping money out of the pot is figuring out who was contributing to finding the envelopes between the two groups of three. That's really the only major thing to go on for this first episode. And I mean, we have, I think, the first group of three that really struggles to spot a very obvious envelope, I think is the only real major note I have. Yeah, Diedrich, Sanna and Emanuela all completely walk past the board with the envelope at the museum. Yeah, it's Emmanuel who sees it, yeah. So it's like, hmm, I guess the only thing is that Diedrich or Asana could potentially be the mole after that one. <laughs> That's the only like mole action you can really see. And then they still have the mix-up with the Korean and Thai food cart, but they spot the envelope anyway. And I think both groups finish this challenge with lots of spare time too. Yeah, it's about 13 minutes spare they have, because they are, as is very rare on this, very efficient as a group. As a group of six, you never usually see this much extra discipline. It usually all goes wrong somehow. Even if the mole isn't in that group of six, it usually goes wrong because someone is trying to pretend they're the mole. It's like what would happen if your your own was the mole, where he's like, oh, everyone's working well together, I guess I'm not going to do anything. Ipsy doodles. We'll give them two and a half thousand. That'll be a nice start for them. Compared to, and then they, the production gets their vengeance next season with the negative 3,000 start. <laughs> Which should have been negative 5,000. But yeah, here we just see, I mean, was the mole putting in that much effort if they were in one of the two groups of three? The fact that the challenge was done with 13 minutes left to spare and it was a one hour time limit. So that's pretty damn impressive that there is still 20% of the clock remaining. As a mole, would you want to be in the helicopter group or not, do you think? 
I mean, for, from a fairness standpoint, you shouldn't be in the helicopter because you have no control over the Euros. Yeah, I think as a mole, you probably want to be on the ground still so you can at least control maybe half of the money, depending on what the actual split is between the envelopes. Yeah, like you, you have a shot at maybe like, oh, we can't find this envelope, let's move on, and then you lose 250 euros or whatever it is for the episode. But here it's like, no, this group was done with like 13 minutes left, 2,500's in the pocket. And the group of four found all four exemptions. I mean, the only thing I can really think of that the maybe the mole was in the helicopter group because maybe by lying to the other six people that after working so well together in the first challenge, now there's going to be a lot more distrust and a lot more chaos from this point forward. That's the only other thing I could see happening. Maybe to stir that distrust. And it's kind of funny that the one person who was honest about what happened is happens to be the guy who is executed first because Vincent is going to earn his exemption, tell Ivana about the twist and what happened to gain trust, and then he's the first one executed. I have to say, Vincent is such a tragic first boot, and it's just delicious him just his entire story is just beautifully told in this episode and it's so tragic and so delicious as someone watching it's such an instant downfall edit and it's brilliant what surprised me i guess we can skip ahead to that part of it but just the fact that they were all in that movie theater and the six of them were like oh we get to steal an exemption away from one person and they choose the guy who is probably the least wishy-washy out of all four of them. Like, if, if I was in that theater, I'd be thinking, man, I just don't buy the person who said, oh, I might give it back. I really like this group, but no, I'm going to keep the exemption for myself. And then we have the guy who is very straightforward and honest about it saying, nope, 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 keeping it, keeping it, keeping it, keeping it. Yep, nope, nope. I'm surprised that guy is the one who got penalized compared to the other three where it's like, oh, man. It's the other three who are raising red flags for me, not the not the guy who just gave one word answers the whole time. <laughs> not the guy who's actually being at least reasonably honest. <laughs> Especially if Ivana was in that group of six too, where she's like, "Well, he was the only one who told me about the exemption, so I can't take it away from him." So I'm very surprised that Ivana would have gone along with the other five and taken the exemption away from Vincent, because I think that it wouldn't have required too much effort to deflect it onto somebody else because i don't think there was really especially less than an episode in there would be too much of an argument to say like oh i just don't want the exemption stolen away from this person i think the other five would be a lot more receptive to being okay well let's just take it away from the other three what's your case so Joachim says that in this phase of the game money isn't important but a question mark could turn the tables on the helicopter group it is vital that they get the question mark He's a married father of three boys, and in the time he has left, he hosts TV programs. He says he's completely unfit for Vista Mole, and actually having any chance of finding who the mole is. He's very fanatical, his short-term memory is awful, and he's like an open book. And he suggests that his team go for the question mark first and work up the list, while the other team go from the highest value down. Thomas says they still have to find the password, which was difficult, until he had the binoculars and spots the banner saying keep Portland weird. Diedrich says that ordinarily in Vista Mole, everyone will rush at the start of an assignment. They didn't because they actually planned. Out of interest, what do you think would have happened if they didn't get the exemptions? Because we don't really know the time limit on their challenge. 
Well, that would really impact what the next challenge would be. That's the thing. I feel like that was a challenge where they were 100% were going to be getting those exemptions regardless. Especially when they didn't have a timer for it. So I'm going to guess they were just going to let them take as much time as, as possible. The only other thing I can think of is that if the group of four messed up so much that the groups of three would race each other to get to the exemptions, and then they'd be the ones in that dilemma. I feel like that first day had to end with somebody getting exemptions. And it had to be more than more than two or three people, really. Yeah, you could still get away with it if it was the group of three that... Maybe the team with the question mark envelope was the one who got the three exemptions, and then it would be the helicopter group and the one of the van groups that would be going to the movie theater. Yeah, maybe. So Dietrich's group completely walked past the mole envelope and the sign at the art museum. Vincent gets the next introduction. He's a choreographer, and he says he's done his best to prepare. How did the moles do it? How did the winners do it? And how did the losers do it? He has learned from V's to mole history. Not yet, though. At the Portlandia building, Ivana spots an envelope and startles a group of children. It's literally just the question mark. She expected just a little bit more. Emmanuela finally spots a sign at the art museum and finds the first 750 euros of the pots. The Mormonite seems to be themed around US bills this season, which is a very nice touch, I have to say. The helicopter group find the Hawthorne Bridge. It's big, green, and industrial, which is perfect for Vias de Mole. Sigrid's introduced. She's an actress, and she hopes in every situation she knows where to place herself as a contestant or as a mole. Joachim's group find the 500 euro envelope at the library. They end up asking some security staff where the Umbrella Man is. Diedrich's group look for the Thai food cart on Alder Street. Diedrich ignores Emanuela spotting the Thai cart. Korean and Thai are not the same. Unsurprisingly, Emanuela was right and gloats in confessional about it, which was very nearly our banner. But the fact of the matter is, spoilers for next week, Emanuela's getting that banner 100%. So I didn't make Emanuela the banner this week, just to be fair. Santa rushes for it and it's the 1,000 euro envelope. In the middle of the bridge, they find a guardhouse. Thomas tells the guard, keep Portland weird and they can pass. In the distance is a chest, which they run for, and then the bridge starts lifting up. It is raised up, something apparently Yorona's dreamed about weirdly. The traffic is stopped in rush hour just for a weird Dutch programme, and they find the chest has a lock on it, but no key. Vincent looks up and spots the key in the air. It is literally hanging from the bridge. And they open the chest, and it contains four green exemptions. Written on the back, in a very rare moment for Vidim, is a flavouring game. Diedrich says that it is a big advantage that they're not in Kuala Lumpur or anywhere, and everyone actually speaks English for directions. And they find the envelope containing 250 euros in the hand of Umbrella Man. Yeroen is worried about Art's haste warning, and suggests at the picnic table that they lie about the exemptions in case the others can steal them. Thomas says he doesn't understand the plan. They've got the exemptions and they're safe. Do you think Thomas has watched Vidim? I don't know, because there's something that isn't brought up in Thomas's introduction that makes him unique, which is the fact that he's Belgian. He is, I think, and I am more than likely going to get corrected on this when it comes out in November, I think he's the only Belgian contestant in Vidim. Oh, he doesn't even live in Holland? I think he lives in Holland now, but he is originally from Antwerp. So at this point it would be like, they, when, when would Argentina there? 2016? Oh, and they would have filmed this... They would have filmed this uh... Just after Argentina would have aired. So the, I guess there is a pretty good chance that he's never seen the mole then. I feel like he's probably not seen much mole. Because there was a 13-year gap, Argentina would have aired, and then he would have been out to film probably just a couple of weeks after Argentina would have finished airing. So maybe, yeah, he wouldn't have, he wouldn't have watched much mole anyway. 
I believe he lives in Amsterdam now, but he is originally from Antwerp. He's at least the most recent Belgian contestant on Vietnam, if not the first and only. He's definitely the only one I'm aware of. So, Yeroen gets the next introduction. He's a radio presenter and bottom five feature mole. He's also a voiceover artist and plans to watch everyone and just pay attention. The two groups meet up at Umbrella Man. They got all the money and the question mark card, meaning two and a half thousand of a possible two and a half thousand of the pot. And Diedrich does claim that they got their money by selling their bodies. Roos is uncomfortable about lying, but it's Fiesta Mole. And it's fair to say she is not a good liar. <laughs> she is, in fact, I would say, the worst liar in this entire group. Just her body language. Like, Manuel's big thing about studying body language. Boy, oh boy, would the alarm bells be going off when uh, Roos was talking. And she, cause she kept rubbing her, rubbing her nose with her finger whenever she had to lie. It's like, oh man, everyone knows you have an exemption now. Like, for all the moaning that I have done and will do about Yeroen during this season, potentially, he is a much better liar than Roos. Even Vincent is cringing. Her own teammates like, oh no, Roos just completely blew it for us by speaking. The golden rule of lying is you don't give too much detail. You give literally as little detail as you can get away with. You give as much of the truth as you can get away with and hide lies in there. That's how you lie. Roos gives far too much detail. She's constantly chunnering. And it's really obvious that they lied. And she sinks her entire team as a result of this. And then Vincent knows that the everyone knows they have something of value. And he just tells Yvonne in the hotel saying, hey, yeah, we, we all have exemptions. I'm sure you already figured that out. <laughs> Do you think that Vincent would have told Ivana that they had an exemption if Roos hadn't been so bad at lying? No. I think it's when it, Roos made it... I'm sure there was discussion on the way to the hotel. I'm sure there, they could hear the murmurs and muttering of, what was what, what, did those, what did that group before I get? What was Roos lying about? And then they probably said, eh, they all probably got exemptions or something. And Vincent's like, well... May as well gain an ally in the process here. Yeah, I think the big question after Roos's terrible attempt at lying was how many exemptions are in the game, rather than whether they got them. Yeah, rather rather yeah, rather than if they are found or not. It's like, okay, at least one of them has an exemption, maybe two. Maybe they didn't think all four of them had it, but they knew exemptions were, were definitely obtained. Or if it was a black exemption. But we we have the fun scene between Vincent and Ivana with Vincent saying that whoever you share a room with will become a Bond, everyone will suspect that they're a Bond anyway. He asks Ivana who she suspects, and she says, you're Owen. A few years too early there, love. <laughs> Ivana is a YouTuber, the first in Vidim, and was in musicals including Wicked and The Little Mermaid. She says she wants to earn as much as possible, and any mistakes she makes can be passed off as mole actions. And then Vincent reveals to her that he has a price telling, as do the rest of his team, as a sign of trust. They've got a Bond now. She trusts him, but he could also be the mole. Vincent would have stayed if he told everybody that he had an exemption. He's going to be kicking himself for that. That he only told one person, that one person kept it quiet. Vincent's big mistake here was not even necessarily being honest with Art in the next bit, but it was not being honest enough with everyone else to begin with. Yeah, being honest with one out of six people wasn't enough. For someone whose introduction was basically, I've seen as much of Vidim as possible, I know exactly what the winners did, I know exactly what the moles did, I know exactly what the losers did. 
he didn't learn the lesson from previous mole seasons, which was absolutely nothing is what it seems. It's what Ruben says at the end of Georgia. Neat is what Het liked. Do not trust anything until you get to that test in terms of your exemption. Because there is always another boot that is going to drop, especially when Art warns you that haste can trip you up. Which is literally what he says before they go running in the forest. He should have known that there was going to be a but to the exemptions. And he should have done the groundwork to make sure the but didn't affect him. Yeah. So they wake up on day two in Portland. Art says it's a good start for the team. They have 100% of the money so far and four exemptions and a question mark, which could turn the game upside down. Sana gets the next introduction. She started as a stand-up comedian, then moved to theatre, films and writing and hosted her first quiz this year. She says she'll be looking at a few people and seeing whether they're suspicious or not and crossing them off her list as necessary. The helicopter four are taken from breakfast as a group in the white van. They are taken to their location. And I have to say, given... The standards of roads in America, I'm quite surprised they don't drive in this season. We don't really see them drive in Vidim anymore, especially compared to Belgi. But I would have thought that they'd maybe have let them drive in in America. Yeah, it's one of the safest, especially Oregon. Driving the West Coast isn't exactly treacherous to, <laughs> a treacherous place to drive. So Art is waiting for them in the Tavern Club. The other six are taken to a cinema, Cinema Baghdad, and they have it all to themselves. Oh man, Cinema Baghdad reminds me of Amazing Race 7. How did I know you were going to do that joke? <laughs> Literally as soon as they said Cinema Baghdad, I'm like, Logan's 100% going to do a Ron and Kelly joke here. I had to. I know. <laughs> so Roos is first taken in to see Art. The other six are watching her in the cinema. He asks her about her adventures on day one. She doesn't seem to know that she's on live streaming camera to the other six. And then they talk about the group having an exemption. Diedrich says that it is the green truth. She's not comfortable as she suspects that it could be taken away from her or that there will be a black exemption in play. He has a proposition for all four of them, asking whether they would be willing to give up their exemption for a group exemption. For it to be a group exemption, everyone has to hand their individual exemption, and Diedrich describes it as a prisoner's dilemma. Not exactly Diedrich. Diedrich's a very intelligent man, as we're going to get into. He's a science journalist. And he's also a former Dislimster men's finalist in the year that Art won. Because it was Art, and then someone who's never been on Vidum, then Diedrich, and then Jan. <laughs> and also in that season was Roos. <laughs> I think I actually mentioned this at the start of, uh, at the start of Georgia, but... There were five people in the finals of that season who were Vidum alumni, and two of them are in this season. One of them is Art as well. Man, such overlap between those two shows, and then it's the same way with Belgian Mall. Yeah, and the the one following that, the runner-up was Remco from Czechia, and the third place was, of course, Chris Sagers. So bizarre. There is a lot of Vidum alumni who go on Dislimster Men's. So yeah, Diedrich doesn't know what a prisoner's dilemma is, because prisoner's dilemma is between two people. Yeah, and it's for... It'd be a much different setup of a challenge. It's like, you have information, you need to tell me this information, you'll be treated better than the other person. Not, you're a group of four, maybe you should, all four of you, give up your exemptions. <laughs> like, yeah, this is not a prisoner's dilemma. If you were in the helicopter group, would you give up your exemption for a group exemption? Probably not. No, especially if, I mean, what is there to go on? I'd be so scared of that first test. Cause it's like, well, there's nothing for me to observe. 
I think unless you are the mole, you wouldn't do it. And the other part is you don't really get, especially if you were in the helicopter, that means you haven't seen six people at all so far. That's six people you don't get to observe. It'd be like, say, in the first episode of Georgia, if they were given that same choice to give up their exemptions. I don't think anybody in, in the Georgia premiere would have <laughs> for that very reason. It's like, well, I only got to play with one other person. So, no, I'm not going to take a chance on the quiz. <laughs> I think the the key element of it is the fact that if you're the mole, you obviously want as many people there as possible. If you are not the mole, then you want to send someone home because that is another chance that there will be a non-elimination later in the season that will save you. Yeah, that's the other part of it too, for, for a round where you definitely won't have an exemption. Because exemptions are quite rare in Dutch and Belgian mole. Especially when there's no money at stake if you do keep the exemptions. It's an absolute obvious choice to keep the exemption. You just have to have the the foresight to go, maybe I'm on camera here, I need to not be a dick about it. I think in Georgia, what there other than the other than the non elimination round, I think there was only one episode where somebody had a successful exemption played. Yeah, Yam was the only one with an exemption generally, I think. I don't think there were any exemptions that were voided by Black Exemption, because it was all Yokers. It was all Yokers in the non-elimination episode. It's very different from like the American Mole format, where the big thing there is they try to treat it like most reality shows, where somebody is, one person gets individual immunity, and then everyone else is vulnerable. So they like to do an exemption every single episode in the American version. But with the Dutch and Belgian versions of the Mole, they very, very rarely give out exemptions. So I think you got to hang on to it here, especially when you have no information and you, you know a non-elimination has got to be coming at some point. So Thomas is next up. He's an actor. He says the mole works in extremes. They're either really positive or really negative and he will look out for both ends of that spectrum. He considers doing the group exemption because they're a good group, but he also likes the safety of not being the first person to go home. Diedrich says that Thomas's face reveals his emotions straight away and none of them really think he'll hand his exemption in in the end. Diedrich is a science journalist and author. He has thought about how to spot the mole. It is someone who will never let go fully, even in a group setting. Euroan is the third person to face the dilemma. Sana calls him a Judas. They roomed together the previous evening, and he said nothing about an exemption. And Emmanuela had exactly the same situation with Roos. And it's very appropriate Sana calling him a Judas, because, you know, he will end up being one. He says he doesn't know why he'd do it, it's inevitable that someone will have to go home eventually, and he just wants to make sure it's not him. Vincent is the last person to face it. He had a bad night's sleep. He immediately says he's not going to hand his exemption in repeatedly, even before Art finishes his sentence. Nay. Nay. Nay, Art. Nay. What part of no do you not understand? What part of nay don't you understand? And then he has the iconic quote of someone has to go home eventually. It's for the best. The irony, of course, being if you're re-watching this episode like I was, you'll know it's him. <laughs> Art then walks into the cinema and confirms that four exemptions are in the game, but so is the question mark, which was their tickets to see the show, and also gives them the right to take away an exemption. They will get the rest of the day to think about it, and they decide to wield it spitefully, aiming for the person who they think will do worst on the test to eliminate them from the game for being dirty, dirty cheats and liars. Art then reveals to the helicopter four that they were being watched and that they have the right to remove an exemption. Vincent says he knows it'll be him, given his behaviour on the screen. During the test, they will make their decision about whether to go for the group exemption or not. 
and then Art will reveal who's not immune after that. Art's revelation basically convinces them to do the group exemption, but it is a question of trust as to whether they will. It is now time for the test. 20 questions on the identity and actions of the mole. Whoever knows least goes home, except for the mole who can never go home. Four of them currently have exemptions, which is Yaroan, Roos, Thomas, and Vincent. And the test takes place at a location I think Mr. Saunders may be familiar with, the Pittock Mansion. I am pretty sure this may or may not have been used as a finish line in Amazing Race 13. You are spot on. It was indeed the finish line of Amazing Race 13. I thought so. (laughs) I'm like, this looks very familiar. (laughs) In fact, about half of the locations in this episode did feature in the Amazing Race 13 finale. Well, yeah, they had like the food trucks and stuff. I'm like, wasn't that the donut truck there? (laughs) Alder Street also featured. I think the Portlandia building did as well. I think that was where they sold the dinosaur. And like, yeah, there's a lot of Amazing Race 13 overlap. No wonder they've only been to Portland once, because they just used the lot of overlap and landmarks being used. So Ivana suspects Vincent. She likes knowing that he had an exemption. She's following her intuition and putting most of her questions on him, some on Thomas, and some on Yaroan. Thomas says he's definitely spreading on Roos, Vincent, and Yaroan. He's keeping the exemption for himself, as he doesn't trust Vincent. Emanuela says Sana is very smart. It could be her, as she could be very subtle and very manipulative, as she is incredibly driven. Sana is on Sigrid, Emanuela, and Thomas, as she trusts them the least due to their profession, which is a little bit judgmental, I have to say. Yaroan is on Vincent, but rule number one in Vistamol is to spread on a test. He's rather unreliable with an exemption, and does not hand it in. Diedrich has two groups, people who aren't the mole, and a few risky guesses. Roos doesn't fully trust Sigrid because she's a good actress and a smart girl. She's playing her exemption because she knows that Yaron and Vincent will. Sigrid is focusing on Sana, Roos, Vincent, and Yaron. Joachim has four people that he suspects, Diedrich, Sana, Roos, and Yaron. He's putting five questions on each. When in doubt, go for odds. Joachim, you may be terrible at this game, as you've already said yourself at the start of this episode, but that is the best tactic to do in your first test if you have no idea. Just play the odds, suspect four or five people, put an equal amount of questions on each, and hope you're right. Vincent suspects Thomas, Diedrich, and Sanna. He's doing his best in the test, but gives back his exemption, as he doesn't know what the others will do. Art says at the execution that a green screen is the start of a great adventure, a red one is a ticket home, a nightmare scenario which he's heard from First Boots, and will hear from one of them, as not everyone handed back in their exemption. He confirms that Vincent was the only one to give up his exemption, but he was also the one chosen by the other six to have it voided. At least he sur- surrendered it. If he didn't surrender it, I think the elimination would have been even more painful. Oh, definitely. It would have been very funny, to be honest. And in fact, that's basically the only bit of this episode where they don't shank Vincent a little bit more is is the fact that he made the noble choice and actually did hand it in himself. But the damage was already done by that point. Yeah, he was probably... I would say he was 99% sure he wasn't going to be keeping his exemption. So Sigrid, Sana, Joachim and Ivana all get green screens before the man who gave up his exemption, to quote Art, gets a red screen, and there are lots of shocked faces. Yeah, I believe what the fuck was the first statement I heard that I wrote down. (laughs) I think almost multiple people said that. WTF, man, he went out? Before this test, did you suspect Vincent would be going home or not? No, just because the mole isn't really that type of show. Well, I guess we did just have Splinter go home due to a massive blunder, but it's not like they don't have those big moments with the first boot where somebody who is certain to be safe goes home first. I mean, the closest example is maybe Columbia with, what's her name? 
Evie. Evie, yeah. I, I, well, I was thinking Ava, but I'm like, no, I'm pretty sure it's a Belgian mole contestant. It's not Evelyn. Those are other contestants. <laughs> so that's the only like shocked first boot I can recall seeing on on Vidim. But here, Vincent's like the ultimate American style reality show blunder that you see go home first, where it's like, oh, he played it just about as, almost as badly as he could have, other than other than maybe going straight ticket all on one candidate. Yeah, I can't think of a first boot other than Vincent who has this brutal an edit in the first episode and goes straight home. He got screwed, and it is delicious. I think this is the first time I can, first season I can think of in a long time where all ten people uh, were smart enough to spread on the first quiz. Because Georgia, Ron, I think went all in on one person. We're close to it. Columbia, Evie, that definitely went all in on one person. China, I think the person who went, that woman who went home first, uh, was all in. I think she did. Czechia, Premco definitely did. I can't remember with Renaissance what happened there. I think I had forgotten how hilarious his boot is. I'd always kind of remembered him as being a bit of an afterthought in the season, to be honest. He never made that much of an impression in 2017 for me. Yeah, I've never seen a first boot just other than going straight ticket on one person where they were just... They were smooth sailing. They should have been safe going into the second episode. And then, nay, 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 exemption stolen. Boom, you're gone, all in the span of about five minutes. So, Sigrid says she wanted to apologise because he was so noble to give up his exemption. Bruce felt a wave of guilt. Joachim says it's a game and it's brutal. Vincent's so nice, but he's no longer a suspect. And he says it's really sad, but he had a fun experience and did his best. The one thing to point out is that there's a lot of distrust because the most honest guy who got an exemption is now gone. And there's the added burn of the fact that he surrendered his exemption, which makes everyone feel that much worse. So going into the second episode, this group is going to have a lot tougher time trusting each other and being as easygoing as they were in this first episode. Especially as there is a challenge next episode that is built entirely around trust. So next time, they can earn a lot of money in a warehouse. It almost can't go wrong. Bruce and Yaron disappear before a laser game in a theme park brings out the best in Emanuela, and Diedrich and Yaron go on trial. So here's my suspect list. Do you remember who your top three were? Because I do have them written down if you don't. Uh, well, I, okay, well, I think I, did I have Vincent in my top three. Initially. Oh, I see. Here we go. So I'll just go through one through nine here. Number nine is zero one for some reason. I don't think he's the mole. I don't know why. Do you think you would have put your own any higher had you not known that he isn't the mole? It's the one spoiler we're going to actually say this season because obviously your own does come back in Renaissance and is the mole there. He confirms in that season that he was not the mole in this season. So Logan kind of gets a free pass to know your own isn't the mole. Yeah. So number eight, I put Joachim, just because he just thinks he said in the episode, I'm thinking, this guy isn't the mole. Diedrichs is too, is too much of a narrator rather than being viewed as a mole candidate. Then I at number six spot, I have Ruse uh, for her attempt at lying <laughs> and just playing it too much like the player. And number five, I have Sana. She could have done a lot, a bit, a bit better with spotting the envelopes. Emanuela, 
I have up there too, because she did miss out on some envelopes staring straight at her in the face too. Secret I have in the number three spot, just because she comes off a bit mysterious to me and a bit under-edited. Number two is Ivana, just because of A, Vincent going home, and B, she didn't really do anything to save Vincent, and she just comes off as a bit suspicious. And then number one, I have Thomas, because all this money was earned when he wasn't in either of those groups, and he was shown the least out of the group of four when they were chasing down the quartet of exemptions. So that's my suspect list. So my suspects at the time, in reverse order, because I obviously didn't know that your own isn't the mole at this point, Jochen was number nine, then Sanna, then Thomas, then Roos, then Euroan, Emanuela, Diedrich, Ivana, and Sigrid. Okay, so we have some similarities. I'm surprised, because this is the first time I've heard your list after the first episode. Because Logan 100% has been kept away from my suspect list at the time, I have my suspect list written down for every week from uh, from when I did it on Bother's Bar in 2017. Logan has no idea what I'm going to say in terms of who my suspects were each week. The top three on Bother's Bar that week were Yeroen, Joachim, and Roos in order. What? That's that's hilarious. Okay. And who do you think is going home next week? Uh, who's going to go home? Let's go with Roos. I think Roos will go home. Interesting choice. We shall see whether you are correct with that. Maybe she'll rub her nose right before doing the quiz. I don't know. Have you got anything else you want to say about the premiere? What did the mole do? <laughs> well, I can answer that. Nothing. The mole didn't do anything. If you missed our um, our Georgia finale, we are obviously not doing what the mole did this season because Logan hasn't seen it, and therefore I'm not going to spoil it because we're having a, a loose competition to see whether Logan gets the suspicion right before I did at the time. So know what the mole did this season, at least until the finale when we can discuss it at length. So do you do you want to say anything else, or shall we wrap this up? Yeah, I'm good. So, thank you for listening to the first Viesta Mole 2017 recap of the season. We'll be back next week to continue the hunt for another old mole in Oregon. Don't forget you can contact us on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, or Instagram, where we are RTV Warriors, or you can email us and contact us at rtvwarriors.com. Logan's on Twitter at logsubkowaki, and I'm MJ Harmstone. Thank you as always to Marika for the subtitles. We'll see you next week. Peace out and just chill till the next flavoring. Korean and Thai are not the same!